Thanks for listening to this audio from Nesta Education 2019, Shaping the Future, Shifting the System. In this session, education journalist Laura McInerney introduces a panel exploring the future of AI in schools, as well as launching Nesta's report, Education Rebooted. Good morning, and welcome to our session this morning. Thank you so much for choosing to come to the launch of um, this report, Education, where the middle is AI, very clever, <laughs> education, uh, rebooted, question mark. Now, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. My name is Laura McInerney. I am uh, an education journalist and also co-founder of an app called TeacherTap. And in my journalism role, both as the editor of Schools Week, uh, formerly and still as a Guardian columnist, I am often incredibly scathing about two things. Uh, one is edtech, and two, uh, reports written by almost anybody, because I have met very few reports that I liked, uh, and I think most of them are quite dull. This one, this morning, I messaged a number of people, and I was like, it's surprisingly really, really good. Both of the authors, when I told them this, noticed the word surprisingly, um, but they have taken it as the compliment it's intended to be, because this report genuinely, I think, is nailing some important things about the edtech sector as a whole, but also the particular issues around artificial intelligence. So this morning we've got an exciting hour in which Toby, one of the authors, is going to present a little bit about the findings and the report. He's also then going to be joined by Jen Harmshaw from the Department for Education's EdTech team and Priya Lakhani, who's the CEO of Century Tech. And we're going to have a bit of a discussion about these particular issues of artificial intelligence within the education sector. And then I'm going to introduce up the other report, uh, author Laurie, who's going to lead us through some excitement in the second half of the session, but we'll learn more about that later. So first up, Toby, please do introduce us to the report. If we could welcome him onto the stage. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and thank you very much for coming and for the very kind words. It's generally, genuinely very nice to have people say that the report is okay. It's a big relief. Um, but yeah, the first thing to say is we've published a report this week, as you've just heard, um, and I've got five minutes only now, so I won't be giving away too many spoilers, so really do read the report. This isn't an excuse not to read it, um, but I just wanted to very quickly frame what we've done and um, some of the issues and findings that have come out of our research. So the first thing to say is that AI in schools and colleges is quite a tricky subject to either research or talk about um, and to make progress with. Um, we commissioned a survey as part of the research and this, uh, this slide just shows some of those differences. So nearly two-thirds of parents think that AI ed is going to be really important, but 42% do trust AI to guide decisions, 46% don't. So there's an enormous amount of uncertainty, but there does seem to be a general consensus that this is a really important topic. Um, and some of that is reflected in the general coverage around these issues. It's fraught with controversy and uncertainty through from inspirational robots to issues around data security. It's really, really difficult. So why did we bother to uh, write a report on this and study it? Well, it's because our school systems and our colleges have some really big problems right now that are very real. Um, and we think that artificial intelligence is well positioned to tackle some of those challenges if managed appropriately and correctly. 
Um, and those challenges, they range, they're very varied from, you know, teacher workload, which we heard referenced in the, in, uh, the morning session, through to some, some more sort of systemic problems around the difficulty of sharing insights between schools. Um, so the report is split into two halves. The first half talks a little bit about the present, the state of play, and the second half looks to the future and makes some recommendations about what we can do uh, going forward. So I'll just quickly outline the present, the state of play to today. The first thing to say is that AI Ed exists. It's in schools and colleges. It's being used in the UK and abroad. Um, and it's not just adaptive learning platforms. It's not just about pupils being in front of screens. In fact, there's quite a varied range of tools. Um, or, and, and this percentage refers to the percentage uh, of each type of tool that we identified as part of this research. So there's a bias towards learner-facing tools. Um, but we see high potential for a very different range of AI ed tools. Um, we did a bit of analysis of some of the funding around the country, uh, the types of problem that ed tech companies were focusing on. And again, the detail of that is in the report. One thing I'd want to just flag is that there's only been one, we own, only identified one million pounds in public funding for AI ed in the UK since 2014. To put that in perspective, the industrial strategy recently announced 50 million pounds for AI ed in healthcare. So there's a real discrepancy and the education conversation seems to be considerably behind some other important sectors, despite the high potential of AI ed. Um, so looking a little bit to the future, as I said, I won't give away too many spoilers in the report, um, but our driving question around recommendations for the future was about maximizing benefit and minimizing risk. So we recognize that there is this role for AI ed, but it's quite a complex role. There's many different potential futures and decisions that we make now are really important in driving what our schools might look like in the future. So we've broken down the problem into four different areas. So there's some issues around how we grow the field, some issues around improving the field, some issues around the governance of AI ed and the data, the associated data. Um, and then there's a fourth particularly juicy area around assessment and accountability. And think about how AI <coughs> can ensure that our schools and colleges learn in the same way that we expect pupils to learn. Um, and this is a very pessimistic slide pointing to some of the problems that we have right now and some of the things that are preventing AI ed from realizing that, that uh, more positive future that we would like to see. But a more op optimistic slide. Here are some of the things that we think can be done to uh, maximize the benefit of AI ed. And they range um, from sort of the need for more upstream public funding and a strong government role um, in driving the development of AI ed through to things around evidence and mobilizing schools to form a test bed uh, and right through to getting to grips with our sort of uncomfortable relationship with data. We heard a lot this morning about the Ofsted inspection frameworks, um, and it's fair to say that uh, teachers, schools, pupils, understanding and interrelation with data in schools is problematic, but we think that AI ed, if managed responsibly, can help there. Um, so I won't go on too much. I'd encourage you to read the report, um, and we'll discuss, I'm sure, some of these issues. I suppose I just want to end with two kind of overriding thoughts. One is that now is a really critical time for AI ed. The future is extremely uncertain, but there's this strong sense that with action now, 
we're kind of uniquely positioned at the moment to put us down particular paths. So now is really the time. And then the second thing I just want to say as a sort of overriding feeling is that we should feel quite positive and opt optimistic about this. The UK is quite good at this stuff. We're relatively, you know, we're a kind of world leader in edtech to some extent. We're, we're a global hub for AI, but we risk losing our competitive advantage here unless we begin to take this topic seriously right now. So those are two sort of final reflections. And then all that leaves me to say is that, in fact, I didn't write this report alone. My two colleagues, Laurie and Nandra, <coughs> who are in the room today, uh, were invaluable and should be getting just as much credit as me for the report that I hope you'll enjoy. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I'm going, to, I'm going to push you on, on a question first, though. Super. <laughs> so you've said now is the time, and we could lose our competitive edge, but why is that? So now is the time because we're seeing a growing field. So our market analysis identifies that this is, there are AI-ed companies that exist. That exist. We uh, identified 69 as part of the research, but they're all relatively small. Um, Few of them are gaining traction in the UK. In fact, overseas markets are, are more fruitful for them at the moment. Um, and there's relatively little understanding and agreed consensus on how we're going to manage these projects, these products going forward, and particularly conversations around data and the governance of data. Um, as part of the research, we, we had various workshops design different future scenarios for what schools and colleges might look like. Uh, and they were extremely divergent based on decisions around the breadth of uh, the curriculum, the role of data governance. So the reason why now is the time is that it's an emerging field um, and it's highly uncertain. Okay. So we've got, I mean, you've put in the report here that the edtech sector as a whole is set to grow globally to $252 billion. We've currently got the UK edtech sector is home to around a quarter of Europe's edtech businesses. It's the largest in Europe. It should be that this is the place where everything is growing. And yet, pre, I mean, you run a company that's, that's here. How are you finding dealing with this school space and artificial intelligence? Here. Yes. So it's completely different um, in England. I'd like, I'm just going to separate the UK mm. and just say, let's talk about England for a second. Um, because I think England operates very differently to Wales and Scotland. Um, it's really different because we've got, what, 25, 26,000, let's say, schools, um, and you have to go school by school or multi-academy trust by multi-academy trust. You have to knock on each one of those doors. And then what happens, and I don't know how many of you are in education, is the same problem when you try and do anything in a school or actually in any organisation. It's not about the technology. And what I love about the report is it talks about the challenges that we're trying to solve and then how technology might be able to address those. I cannot stand it when tech companies say, let's use AI for this. And I always say, why? You know, talk about the problems that you're trying to solve and then see how AI could potentially supercharge the solution. So we've got the challenges. What happens when you go to schools is it's not a technology issue, it's a change management issue. So you have huge change management problems because you go into schools and there'll be some member of the SLT or some head of maths or head of science or somebody says, I want to use this tool. And then they have to convince everybody else. And, you know, cost can also sometimes be an illusion for them because they think these tools are really expensive, whereas actually they're not because I think the companies there are, you know, being quite honest about the fact, you know, we understand that schools um, struggle with funding. It's a change management issue. I can't name the countries, but we have just been signed off and secured two entire countries um, where 
they're using public procurement processes and they are putting Century throughout those two countries at every single public school. So my worry right now is that, while obviously that's fantastic for Century Tech and it's great for us, is that we're a British company and one country that I would like to see take advantage of technology, whether it's ours or others, whatever, but to solve these problems is our country. But this sort of door knocking approach and then trying to convince SLT by SLT is very slow. And it's that slow nature where some edtech companies in the last um, five years, you'll note, who were in the UK have pivoted and now they're focusing on the US. And there are a few examples of those. They've actually left the UK. And that's where we start to see where innovation reduces. And as, as a country, we, we will lose out. What do you think it is that the country will lose out on? I mean, why wouldn't we just go, OK, well, go, you know, go companies, go do it around the rest yeah. of the world, and we'll kind of pick up when you've sorted your product out? Well, the thing is that we've got those challenges to address. That's the problem, right? If, if we had an amazing education system where teachers were raving about their jobs and that 84% of them weren't complaining that teacher workload was actually a huge problem, 74% on the last you know, TES workload survey a few years ago said that they wanted to potentially quit in the next three years. We know that the one-size-fits-all delivery of education is inadequate. We know that in every class we've got a bell curve, yet a teacher has to sort of try and, you know, struggle to try and address all those needs. Those are all real challenges that, that we struggle with today. And the longer that we take, it just means that the longer we will take to have to sort of address those problems and they will exist. What's the actual, what's, what's, the, what's the impact of all of that? Well, every year we have children leaving formal education. And every one of those years that they leave formal education, we have employers saying our graduates are not, or our school leavers do not have the right attributes, the right skills, the right characteristics that we are employing for. And essentially the economic impact of this is that we potentially end up with a school system where we have leavers of education who are not necessarily fit for you know, what employers want. And therefore we have to go back to the old question, the first question, which is what education is about. And for me it's very, very simple. It is a safe space for children to be in, to show how they want to be, how they want to grow, where children and students feel valued, where teachers feel valued. And that's a huge issue within all of this, where teachers feel valued. And then it's got to be a place where you leave formal education with opportunity and choice. What does that mean? You have to therefore take into account what employers want. What do they want? You know, and what I would say employers are shouting about right now, we talk about skills and then we get muddied in this whole knowledge skills debate. They're after capabilities, they're after attitudes, they're after traits, right? They're after these different ideas about what a student should have when they come to those employers. And Andreas Schleicher said, he said at the Learnit conference earlier this year, I was so pleased he said it, PISA, OECD, should be looking at how we measure countries and education systems for these metacognitive skills. I was absolutely outraged this morning to hear the Ofsted representative say that there is no real evidence to say that metacognitive skills are important. I'm getting goosebumps now. It was really, really irritating and annoying to hear that. I'm going to stop, but I wanted to say that because it is absolutely wrong. Go and ask employers, please, Luke about what they want, and then stand up at the business conferences and please tell them that you would like our education system to be, you know, this little mould where we send all our students, like lemmings. They don't play lemmings where they all just fall off a cliff, right? That's basically what's happening. So please stop saying things like that on an case, open stage. In which case, I'm going to move not to an Ofsted representative, <laughs> I, must, I must admit, and I presume by Luke, you mean Luke, Luke Trill from Ofsted, was that who you He meant? said something this morning that, that I think a few of us just walked out because right. we just fed up of it. But if I can just come in, um, I really, you know, I, I also do think this is a really prime time for this report and we really welcome it. 
And one of the reasons for that is that Damien Hines, as Secretary of State, has, has made a marked change in appetite within the Department for Education to think about the role technology can play across the entire policy agenda. And particularly, he keeps reinforcing the message to us, how can technology support uh, reducing teacher workload, improving pupil outcomes, improving well-being, character development, <laughs> etc. Um, and how can it help um, uh, drive cost savings? So he really sees a very strong opportunity for tech to be playing a much stronger role in the English education system than I think uh, has been the case with previous um, ministers and secretaries of state. And it is something he is personally driving forward. So he announced at BETS uh, a month ago that he wants to do a lot more in this space. Um, and although we're generally talking about EdTech, and I'm from the EdTech team, actually AI is a fundamental part of that. Many of the sort of new, most exciting tools coming forward um, do make use of machine learning techniques. So it's really positive to see that. I think the sort of the word of caution that we tend to have, and, and it actually fits really well with what you've said, is that any school, any college, any teacher picking up a piece of technology has to be absolutely clear about what the problem they are trying to fix is so that pedagogy comes first. They need to understand what is, um, uh, whether it's uh, about a management issue, if it's about teaching and learning issues, what are they trying to achieve and how will technology support that um, uh, underpinned by what we know already about effective teaching rather than a shiny piece of kit because people think it looks nice. And that is absolutely at the core of what we want to do with the um, education technology strategy, which we're hoping will be published uh, this spring. So, so there's some really sort of positive um, uh, environment uh, that, that this report is kind of landing into. And in terms of um, one of the particular things that you pointed out, Toby was around like the, the funding uh, and uh, public investments. Um, and uh, again, I'm uh, able to say this because it was announced at, at BETS, but we're also putting together a £10 million fund, which again will be released um, uh, over the next two years, which is going to help to support the way in which technology um, is driving improvements across the education sector. Um, in the grand scheme of things, £10 million probably doesn't sound like a huge amount. But actually, schools are spending a huge amount on technology already. The most conservative estimates are around £400 million a year, and it's actually more likely to be around the £900 million mark, closer to, to a billion, in just in English schools, without thinking about colleges, without thinking about um, uh, actually home learning environments as well, and, and the amount that parents are spending on, on educational tools. So there's a huge amount of money actually going into this. It's about how are we spending that money effectively on tools where we know that there's a, a, a clear impact and a clear purpose. So one of the things, Toby, you picked up in the report, though, is that a specific issue for artificial intelligence, given that it's quite, it's still reasonably new and developing and growing very quickly, is if you take a industry like mortgages, right? So I, recently I used one of the AI chatbots to sort of discuss mortgages, and it was amazing. It was genuinely a very different experience. To develop something similar to that in schools requires an enormous amount, I think, was what you learned from, from your interviews and everything else. It takes an enormous amount of, of, of R&D, and yet schools don't have enough money to be spending on these products. And therefore, is there a risk that people are not going to invest at all? And as a sector compared to, say, health or mortgages or anything else, education just loses out. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say that R&D spending is not the only kind of market failure on both sides, the demand side and the supply side. So we spoke, you spoke about kind of school purchasing being very fragmented. R&D is another particular issue. You know, AI is very expensive to develop, more expensive than some more basic technologies. Um, so yeah, we've got, there's, a, there's a real risk that we might miss out on this. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a provocation to fix some of those areas in the market, but it's not just R&D. It might also be kind of reducing some of that fragmentation of purchasing. It might be kind of developing more consistent standards of evidence and information for teachers and school purchasers. So there's a range of different things that we can do to try and increase friction on some on the market. I'm going to just bring, I'll come back to you, Jen, I promise. Um, Priya, yeah. if there was one thing that, that could be done to make the process easier for selling into schools, is it that you would want whole countries to be able to sign up? Or in fact, is that quite dangerous? Because if you have whole countries sign up to one provider, it basically knocks out everybody else in the market? Yeah, it's, it's a good question because, you know, once they've signed up, they've signed up on a long-term contract and one could argue that competition is always a good thing. With artificial intelligence, obviously, the way in which it works is the more data you have, the more machine, the machine is able to make smarter recommendations. So if you have a completely fragmented market, that could also the, you know, that could obviously negatively impact um, the machine. I think with AI, one of the points just coming up, so I, I want to tackle the funding point because I think there's actually a very separate point to that that's really important with venture capital and how it all works. But um, if we think about artificial intelligence, we've got to think about what it is. Why use it? Like, why bother? Why should I have spent, you know, seven, eight million pounds developing a century to date um, rather than just building an ed tech port tool that's a rules-based system? So what this actually offers, right, in terms of any other sector where you're, you know, looking for, you're shopping on Amazon, you're searching on Google, you're renting a home via Airbnb, is it can predictively forecast, right? It can predictively forecast quite accurately what's happening in a school. You looked at in, in, in the report, they go into systems and having to look at you know, how Ofsted might be using machine learning. It's really, really important to understand what it can offer. The other thing it can do is it personalizes. So just like as it personalizes your shopping, it can personalize for the individual student. So where we see those uses of artificial intelligence, that's where it's important. Otherwise, you can just build essentially a bog standard tool to address any other issue. On the funding, I think it's important to, sorry, how many in the room are investors? Because I just want to, Right, so we've got a, a very small amount. So let me just say this, how it works very quickly. The way venture capital works is you've got these funds. They want to put money into organisations and then see an exit strategy and then make their money quickly. Those funds have a constitution where they say to their bigger investors, we're going to make money in three years. So if they look at the education market, what happens is they say buying cycles are really long, it's too fragmented, I don't want to put money into education because I'm not going to make my money back for 10 years. So that's where there is a huge private capital issue. However, it's changing. And I just want to say this because I am raising an enormous amount of capital in the UK and it is changing. There are philanthropic investors out there. There are angel investors. There are funds that look at impact ventures and it is changing. So I would say there is, a ne there is an absolute necessity. We got a quarter million pound grant from Innovate UK. So I'm a big fan of Innovate UK. And that needs, I am, because I've had that grant and it did help us. And I think it's really important to give a balanced view sometimes. That needs to increase. I totally agree with you. One million is just not enough as a whole. And then venture capital needs to look at impact investments. You know, we are interested in how we actually benefit society economically, morally and socially. So those things, there are shifts and changing, but I agree with the report. It needs to sort of, needs to press a sort of catalyst button on that. Jen? 
Yeah, what I was just going to wanted to talk about is actually, uh, as Toby said, there are a myriad of different barriers that are actually influencing the extent to which edtech can uh, an AI ed can reach its potential in yeah. the UK schools market or in the English schools market, and they are um, uh, there are a set of necessary conditions that are that exist for technology to survive and thrive as we'd like it to. So some of those are around basic infrastructure, um, the uh, capacity and capability and understanding of the school's workforce, of the marketplace dynamics and actually how purchasing works exactly as you said. And those are all things that we are really keen to address, those are all things that government is actively working on at the moment, which although those don't fix the immediate short-term funding issue, what they do do is help to create an environment where tech has the opportunity to then um, uh, become, uh, uh, to allow scale-up of companies and to, uh, to enable profitability because ultimately, if these companies are not able to be profitable in their own rights, then that funding, uh, the funding pathways again, will not actually come come forward. So we are trying to um, reach a situation where we can support ed tech companies and AI ed to scale more effectively. I just realised I didn't answer your question. I was being a politician. I don't know why I did that. Sorry. Just very quickly um, on the, you don't need a country to buy for all the schools. I love the idea in the report. I know DfE have done a lot of work on this. There is an EdTech team at DfE, which um, Jen's part of, that actually really fundamentally understand um, the potential. And I want to say that because I think I'm known for saying that government doesn't, doesn't understand AI. They do, the small pocket in government. Um, if we have these test beds, if we have these schools that we can create as flagship schools around the country. So, for example, we've got Harrow and Halebury at one sort of end of the spectrum and some independent schools. And then we've got... Um, some multi-academy trusts and schools that are traditionally seen as struggling and challenge, challenge schools, but actually they're using this sort of technology to improve outcomes. If we can create that sort of environment, and DfE will be championing these sorts of schools, which is fantastic, then other schools can look to schools, because teachers trust teachers. They don't want some salesperson knocking on the door saying, hey, here's, let me sell my wares to you. They trust each other. And we've got to actually raise the profile of the profession in teaching. This is one of the fundamental problems. So we should stop actually telling them what to do constantly and prescribing things to them, potentially in the UK. That is an issue here. Let them listen to each other. So I think what the DfE is doing and what the report recommends is, is really, really valuable and a really strong proposition. We've only got a couple of minutes left, and Toby, I wanted to come back to you because it is a brilliant report. The recommendations are very, very practical. There's lots to it. But if you were, if you were sort of passing in the street and you saw Damien Hines walking towards you and you knew he was going to walk past and you maybe had like, a, you know, 20 or 30 seconds to sort of just shout something at him that he needed to understand from your report, is there either a statistic or a recommendation that would be the one thing that you would try and grab him to say? Um, wow. Well, we, we talk a little bit <laughs> of, about the need for experimentation. And I think there's a tension in AI and edtech a little bit around technology and AI is often about exaggerating, amplifying, making more consistent, um, which is about the same provision, extending provision, the same, the same, etc. But AI also holds this unique kind of personalized issue to it. You know, it, it can be intelligent, it can be smart, it can differentiate. And I don't think that we've really fully grasp that tension um, in schools in the UK at the moment. But I think, you know, for our particular education system, where, you know, we have, it's, it's quite good, actually, you know, compared with other education systems around the world, um, the particular set of challenges that we face will all be around 
the, the context, the intricacies of individual classrooms. We're not looking to roll out massive platforms across the whole country. That's not the nature of the problems that we face. So long-winded answer to what I would encourage Damien Hines to do is actually to experiment. I think we need, it's, we're at a stage where it's an early field and we need some uh, dedicated pilots to really understand how AI in the UK, in England, can fix some of the, the problems that we face. And we point in the report to things around assessment and accountability, which I think is a really, that's where I'd start. I think it's a very juicy area where there's high potential for AI to speak to some of the problems you know, that, we, that came up this morning around Ofsted uh, inspections. You know, we could look at how AI could inform some of our understanding of personal behaviour development in the classroom, for example. So a dedicated pilot for AI interventions in schools and at the system level. That would be what you'd Yes, you'd working say. with Ofsted. Excellent. Jen, next time you see <laughs> Damien Hines walking down the corridor towards I, you I in the Department for the Education. Then, shall I? There you go. <laughs> bang him in the lift. So um, we are going to turn over now to Laurie, who is the, um, one of the other uh, <coughs> authors of the report, to take you through the second half. But if we could just have a round of applause for what has been a brilliant and very intelligent panel. Thanks for listening. For more on Nesta's work in education, go to nesta.org.uk forward slash education. If you'd like to hear more from Nesta, why not try Future Curious, Nesta's podcast of bold ideas for curious minds. Subscribe wherever you find your podcasts or see nesta.org.uk forward slash Future Curious for more.